Hey everyone, this is your host Asad Badruddin for the Stablecoin podcast. And today we have Sam Trotwine from Carbon. He is the CEO and co-founder. Sam, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad I'm happy to be here. Great. So, maybe you could kick things off by telling us a bit more about your background. Um, what's your career arc been and how did you end up starting Carbon? Yeah. So, I grew up in the Dominican Republic. My parents run an NGO down there. Uh, and that kind of played a big role in why I got into blockchain so fast. Cause I was just got, a, I was exposed to a lot of, a lot of the consequences of an unrobust financial systems. So we had a president, the Polito Mejia, who managed to inflate the currency hundred percent in a year. So just all the prices doubled, all the credit markets are wiped out. We weren't able to, um, generally gasoline financing happens on debt. So the, the wiping out, the wiping out of the credit markets meant we couldn't buy gasoline. So we had like gas shortages. So that was a, I had a very, uh, I was also like the only white kid in my school, but so I, I came to the United States when I was 17, uh, for my mom's chemotherapy treatment. Um, she's fine now, but it was while I was there that I got into Stanford university. So I went to Stanford where I was studying computer science with a concentration in AI. And while I was there, I was on the CS founding team of a company called Plenty, which was the first, which was, um, an AI hydroponics group. So we were using AI to grow plants indoors with the goal of producing all produce um, in the markets where it's consumed. And we raised our seed, we got seed funding from Eric Schmidt and Jeff Bezos. We raised $200 million from SoftBank. That was a pretty fun, that was a pretty fun run. So while I was there though, I started getting more involved. Um, my mom's family's business is uh, public equities, just capital markets. And so I just kind of always grew up around that. I've always traded and I've always kind of known that it ended up back in the public equity space. It was while I was at Plenty that I kind of started looking at my, looking at what I could do with my life. I was actually in Iceland for spring break, just kind of driving around that country, just kind of thinking about what I should be doing to sort of maximize my impact. And I, that, was, that was kind of the point where I decided to bet more heavily on crypto because the vision that the vision of what we can achieve with it uh, is super appealing to me. So I started putting a lot of effort into just kind of both trading and just kind of helping build projects at that point. And those, that was, it was a couple months after that when Gavin and I um, in June of 2017 started working on carbon. So we wrote wrote the first white paper um, and just kind of kept like he was, he was at Uber at the time. So we would just go to the Uber skyscraper downtown and just kind of map everything out on whiteboards and yeah, so that's kind of where, that's kind of the origin story. That's kind of my background as well as the origin story of Carbon. I have, I have a question before we get into Carbon. What, what did you do? What does a country do when it's out of gasoline? Yeah, well, it's just gas lines. It's like 1973 stuff. Yeah. So you just kind of like, you just go away. So like, there's just rolling. They, you typically, countries will typically ration them how much you, each person can buy. And you just kind of wait in the, you just wait in line for a long time to get gas. Like th- th- those were crazy years. So there was also just rolling strikes. You weren't allowed to go. You weren't supposed to go outside when there's a strike going on because the, the strikers would enforce the strikes with the violence. Uh, the, the guy lost the next election on the campaign slogan, who raised the, this, the, op- the opposing party campaigned on who raised the price of eggs. That's crazy. Like, that, was the, that was the campaign slogan for the purple party in the election following, um, following <laughs> Ipolito. That's crazy. And, and so the government would give you like a voucher and you would redeem that for gas? Uh, no, if I recall, so I was, I was young during those days, but there was, you were only allowed to buy, so the gas stations themselves would just basically tell you, like you were only allowed to buy X, if I recall, you're only allowed to buy kind of like X liters of gasoline. 
Interesting. It's all leaders because it's Latin America. Yeah. Yeah, it was really crazy. So we also, I also was there for the Haitian earthquake and we just kind of had similar experiences with that. Because oh. like their entire banking system just shut down for months because all the banks relied on centralized servers. And so once the, once the power went out, they, no one could do withdrawals. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. I feel like but, here in the US, you just don't think about those issues. Uh, and I find well, yeah, that, yeah, go ahead. And in many ways, that's kind of the beauty of the US. We've built such a robust system that we're all able to kind of focus on very specific pieces of the economy. Yeah. And just drive those forward. And it's allowed us to be much more specialized and it's kind of allowed for way more growth. But a lot of the world doesn't have that. Yeah. Agreed. So, okay. So you, you were working with your co-founder, Gavin. Uh, what did you, I think 2017, the stablecoin ecosystem was still pretty nascent. Uh, so what did you see? What, what, what's the opportunity space you saw? And what are the gaps in existing projects that you looked at and you were like, this isn't going to work and we need to come up with something better? Yeah. So we were looking at the overall crypto. We were looking at the crypto space at large. So I, 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 like I bought into, I, I've been, I bought into Ethereum at like $7 a coin um, way back when. And we've just been, we've been involved in a lot of the dialogue and, and on the investing side, I, I was involved in kind of like one of the hedge funds I was part of did marketing for a couple projects. I was super involved in this, in the um, supply chain token space as well, just because that's because plenty, just because of my background in agricultural spot markets and so forth. Uh, like supply chain tokens made a ton of sense to me. So we were looking at the overall space and we identified kind of the two big bottlenecks as throughput and volatility. And at the time, I, at the time I just kind of assumed that throughput was, I assumed that all the high throughput teams had armies of PhDs, which I've since learned wasn't actually the case. So like in retrospect, we may have, like in retrospect, we, uh, we would have at least considered throughput, but we didn't consider it at the time because we just didn't believe we had what it took or the resources to actually drive a high throughput project forward. And so we decided to take on the volatility problem because we, we knew it was something we could make a difference in. And then we knew it was something that was a very, we, we identified that as one of the two main things holding the space back. Got it. And then how did you think about your model for a stable currency? Yeah, well, we did a lot of research. So we, we spent, uh, we've spent, we've clocked hundreds of hours of compute time just running models and so forth. And we've been, a lot of what, a lot of crypto projects kind of started out as research projects. And we were doing, so we were just kind of running simulations. We were doing, we were reading a lot. So I've only read, I've only read like nonfiction econ for the past two years or so. I've kind of editing else. <laughs> My, like what I read. So like, We've been doing, the model that we settled upon was we liked it because there's no rent seeking. So there's a perfect correlation between risk reward and it's by far the most conservative model out there. Like there's all, all these other, like a lot of these groups are, we, we, we really enjoy kind of the diversity of the space, but like no one's really cracked oracles, governance, or even things like auction front running. Like there's all kinds of um, attack vectors that are really underexplored and that we just need to have the space be more mature before we have any, before we have any kind of real, um, confidence around our solutions so we, we ended up kind of choosing the model we embraced because it survived rigorous rigorous testing and it doesn't expose our it doesn't expose our users to any real form of risk like it, it minimize it minimizes risk because we, we like, this guy this is kind of a um contrarian belief of mine but i'm actually a pretty big fan of tether okay. in the sense that the team has survived hell and high water yeah. Very few teams would be able to keep something stable with the amount of shit that those guys have gone through. That is true. 
I was going to say, you have a really cool visual on your website that explains the model, but maybe for our listeners, you could, if you could briefly summarize it so they have uh, a sense of uh, the model before you explain its risks, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So we, we pioneered, we, we invented and kind of pioneered this thing called the hybrid model. And what that means is, um, what that means is that in the short term, where fiat collateralized, and long, but longer term, we intend to transition to being algorithmic. And to kind of just go deeper into both those, what fiat collateralized means is that for every token in circulation, there's a dollar in a bank account. Uh, so you, for every, we, we're issuing tokens and we're asking someone, um, in this case, an American bank, to hold money to back those tokens. And the reason this is good is because as long as you trust the guy holding the money, it's a pretty robust system. Our long-term ambition is to go algorithmic because markets are the one thing that's more trustworthy than, than individuals. If the U.S. bank fails, if, if carbon commits fraud, if our auditors commit fraud, like, that, then that system is actually not robust. Or if the, or if the laws change, if the regulation changes, then the fiat collateralized systems just don't really work. But if you're able to offload the collateralization onto a market, uh, then, then, it, then the whole system can be self-sovereign and be outside the jurisdiction of any regulator and have no central fail points. So our long-term ambition is transitioning to an algorithmically collateralized system, but in the short term we're fiat backed because it's the easiest way of bootstrapping trust. And it also gives us a lot of, it helps us make inroads and it helps us kind of go to market faster and more meaningfully. Yeah. And I believe you have a partnership with Prime Trust. That's your, your bank. Oh yes, they're one of our partners. One of my questions is how, how, how hard was that partnership to set up? Because my sense is it's really, banks are very uneasy about venturing into the crypto space. Yeah. I mean, so it's a, a two-part question. Our compliance, we put a massive emphasis on compliance. So like my, my family would probably be more forgiving of murder than securities fraud, just given their background in public equities. So we've been putting, we've, we've gone above and beyond on the compliance side. So we've actually, it was actually, we had more resistance internally from our own legal teams than um, from banks, just because that's the kind of company we are. Um, because we're like, you only really going to survive. There's, I, would, I would wager that probably 10 to 20% of the current stablecoin companies are going to face major legal problems within a year. So, We've been we've been working closely. We our corporate counsel is a company called Transferwise. They're a big remittance company. We have their head of legal as a corporate counsel, and um, Andrea has been a, an incredible resource for helping us navigate just banking and money transmission regulation. So the, that took a lot of work to set up, but we made it more difficult for ourselves by holding ourselves to a higher standard than many of these projects do, because we just believe that compliance is going to be a major edge as the space continues to develop. And it's paid off. Like we've had, we've had inbound interest from like governments because we're just known for being compliant. That's interesting. Yeah. Are any of these offers something you'd pursue seriously? Uh, I can't really speak to that right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a crazy. We live in a like yeah. The space is the space is crazy. But. Yeah. So one of the interesting thing, things about your project is that you have an Ethereum-based token and an EOS-based token, if I'm, if I'm understanding yeah. correctly. Could you explain why you have a token that's valid on two uh, chains and what the advantages and trade-offs are? Sure. So we view, 
if you take on, if you look back, if you take the clock back 150 years, the only people who would get loans were friends and family of bankers. And that's because, um, that's because that was the only real mechanism of vetting, of vetting the credibility of any person. We will, we will, the reason we're in the stablecoin space is we view it as a means of democratizing, um, democratizing banking, just giving the giving access to stable, like a secure, stable way of storing value to everyone everywhere. So we really believe that stablecoin is going to offer a mechanism of economic interoperability, and we we see that kind of we see that playing out both between currencies and between chains. So we view this as a way of just kind of of enabling anyone anywhere to safely store value. We've been very involved in just kind of the EOS community and development there. One of my coworkers, David Skirr, was actually one of the seed investors of Everpedia, and he actually was the guy who connected them to Brock Pierce. So, like, we've been, we've been, we've been involved in EOS. We're members of the team have been involved in EOS since kind of the since the inception of that entire project, and we've been watching very closely. And we we recognize that we can provide a valuable resource to people in that community, as well as further. Um, further connect stores of value just by being there and yeah like it, it ties into our thesis such as stablecoins as economic as an economic interop- interoperability layer did you get any kind of support from the eus team uh we're in talks with people there right now we just did it because we could it's best for us to um maintain our objectivity in that specific sector got it and so is there do you run into the problem of duplication of tokens because you can have a token on two chains and you sort of need two ledgers to keep track of things? Well, so technically with how it's structured, they're basically independent ledgers. So if you go to our website right now and wire us money, you can choose if you want the token issued to Ethereum or issued to EOS. Oh, okay. And we're working, we're, we're working on liquidity pooling between the two and we'll keep rolling that out as we keep launching on more chains, but... So but we'll on the back end, your bank account at Prime Trust has a consolidated ledger. Yes, yeah. Well, it was actually a U.S. bank. Prime Trust is an intermediary between. Uh, the, so they basically just um, lease, they basically just kind of rent us licenses. Got it. On your website, you mentioned you use Hedera hash graph cryptography. Can you explain for our listeners? I don't know if it is possible to summarize it, but if you could summarize it, like uh, and and why you decided to use that kind of encryption. Sure. So Hashgraph is Hashgraph is one of the most compelling projects in the crypto space. They're uh, the uh, Lehman's a genius. Lehman's brilliant, and they're they've created a um, they built an incredible consensus algorithm, and we've had the opportunity of working very closely with that group. And so we we believe that they're by far the um, we believe they're one of the leading horses in the high throughput race, and we've just been we've had the honor of working closely with them. Our plan is to, when they launch, our plan is to kind of be very deeply involved in that ecosystem because we think it's, we think they will likely end up, uh, I don't really necessarily believe we'll see mass consolidation in the high throughput space, but we believe Hashgraph will massively expand the institutional involvement in crypto. The algorithms of the algorithm, they're, they're a very, uh, they're uh, in many ways, just kind of a DAG. They're just a D, uh, like, yeah, we can get into the algorithm, but that's kind of, that gets a bit technical. Okay, uh, that's fine then. And then you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but what, is, what does governance look like? 
Yeah. So our governance structure, we, we pioneered also as part of hybrid, as part of the hybrid model, we pioneered a pretty novel governance structure as well. So we think two of the main, we think two of the main um, appeals of smart contracts are transparency and immutability. So our governance structure, we, we can, our governance structure is pretty straightforward. The company or the company can submit changes to the code base, but the changes have to sit visible to everyone for a certain number of blocks before they go into effect. So anyone can cash out while those are, anyone can cash out while the changes are just waiting for, while the changes aren't live. Let me ask you this. So the, you, you've mentioned there's a, there's a period where it's going to be, the service is going to be more centralized and then mm-hmm. you're going to move to more algorithmic. Yeah. What's, what do you think is going to be the, inflection point between that conversation. So we're actively involved in just kind of build, we're, we're actively involved in building out a lot of core infrastructure. So a lot of the stuff we're working on is solving immediate needs of partners and of the, or needs we perceive in the space. And we think that um, we think that owning this core infrastructure will put us in a position to be able to both build up the build up the um, penetration of stable coins to allow us to support an algorithmic stable coin. So in many ways it comes down to like, we also just don't believe the markets aren't liquid. Like you can launch, we could launch algorithmic today, but it would be, it would be a roll of the dice and anyone who kind of tells you otherwise with anything besides fiat collateralization, besides fiat collateralized is lying to you. So the, cause the markets aren't really like whether the markets rely very heavily on market making. There is there, you, we will see crazy shocks just based off regulation and um, just, based off regulatory developments as well as just movements of large chunks of crypto. So we don't think it's viable in the short term until we both, until we see more market liquidity, which will probably be a result of institutional involvement as well as more robust custody solutions, as well as kind of clear regulation. But we, we think that, um, yeah, we, we believe that that's, we believe that that will come and we believe we'll be in, a, in the best position to capture that when it does come. Cool. And what, what is your go-to-market strategy? Uh, we're working really closely with a couple of groups around just, like, I can't really reveal like that. What I will say is that we, we're working very closely with a couple of groups to address immediate needs for um, a lot of people. Can you reveal whether you're going directly to consumers or creators, or if you're working with companies or businesses? We're working with, uh, so I don't really, yeah, I don't really, I'm not a huge believer in, um, I haven't been convinced yet that the consumer facing side of crypto is viable. I view this as, I view this as infrastructure, which I guess goes back to kind of my background in both AI and public equities and just systems engineering. So we're, we're mostly focused on, kind of on businesses and supporting applications that are consumer facing. Interesting. And then how have you thought about building out your team uh, as you, as you think about your. Sure. So something, something, I think this is, I think this is Jeff Bezos. I think this is public, but he has a quote about uh, how you all, for a company to be successful, you have to always, every new hire has to be more competent than the one before it. And we, we really stuck to this principle. Like we've, we've had, we've had incredible, uh, we've had, we've had just incredible success with hiring. So we pulled in, 
one of my friends um, as our COO, David Segura, who had a major exit a couple of years back. Um, he's been he's an angel investor. He's actually invested in a couple of competing stable. He's actually invested in a couple of competing stablecoin projects. But so David's been amazing at helping us kind of handle all of our BD as well as a lot of our legal because he's built companies before. Like he, he's a successful founder. We've been able to pull in a lot of. Um, We've, I think we had, I think we've had over half the Ivy League schools represented in our code base because Gavin and I just have leveraged our network to pull in top technical talent from most of America's best schools. Uh, so I think Princeton and Stanford are kind of the two schools most represented on our team right now. But we've been, we've been very lucky with, or we've just been very lucky with being able to kind of convince people from our network to just join the company. And we put a very heavy emphasis on kind of technical first because we, we believe if startups are poker, your ability to kind of turn out products is basically your stack. And stack bullying is something that's very easy to do in poker. So we can make more, we can make, by having a very technical team and having a very competent team, we can make more bets at, at a lower cost than anyone else. And yeah, so like David's the only non-technical person on the team. We have, we have, we have seven engineers and one BD person. And we also have like seven part-time people who are mostly technical as well. Uh, you made a comment about your CEO, which leads me to this question. Do you think multiple stable coins will exist with different features or do you think they'd be like a winner take all for the market? A hundred percent multiple exist. Something I'm not sure. So crypto has become a bit of a circus and that's like, I, I've been like, I, I wasn't really, I was not happy with how December played out. Like I was not like, I, I, I would be happier if Bitcoin were cheaper. Like there's just so, there's so much noise. And in any noisy space, we're all like, there's not gonna be consolidation because there are teams who have, there are teams with, and all across the board in crypto, this isn't just um, stable coins, but as long as you have someone who's loud and, and can get on stage, you can be a viable project in any of these spaces. And I don't see that changing in the next year or two. Uh, but one level down, I do think it is possible for these for groups to, I do think it's possible. Like, I don't think we're going to see consolidation in the stablecoin space specifically because there's, an, there's all kinds of different dimensions along which these groups can kind of um, set themselves apart. And to top off all that, um, liquidity has become commodified. But going back to those dimensions, so privacy, like, so compliance is one of them. You'll have groups that have banking charters that issue stable coins. You'll have groups that don't even have MSBs that issue stable coins. So basically, how the more the more um, the more connection you have to the existing financial system, the more centralized you have to be. So if you have an MTL on a banking charter, you need kill switches. You need you may need to even KYC every single wallet that touches the coin. And so you can kind of define. You can choose a point on that spectrum. You'll see the same thing with kind of crypto collateralization and privacy, but as long as you can kind of define, as long as you can kind of define a distinctive niche, there won't be consolidation. And there's all kinds of different spectrums along which you can kind of define these niches. But yeah, so between kind of how loud the space is and how much things are driven by BD and chest pounding on stages, I don't see consolidation happening intellectually for a while because the space just, people are dumb in the space. And I think along just kind of, I think along compliance lines as, as well as along kind of regulatory risk and just privacy, groups will be able to carve out niches there as well. Uh, and then one, one final question. Is there a book you recommend to people who are interested in learning more about sta like st the idea of stable coins or cryptocurrency? 
the reason crypto clicked for me was just having done a lot of research on cybernetics, which was a predecessor of computer science, but it was a study of systems as systems. And it was heavily researched both in the USSR as well as in England. A lot of, a lot of like operation, operational science came out of cybernetics as well as just what we now call computer science. But I can't really think of any specific, I haven't really read, like I may, I may write a book, I guess, on crypto at some point, but there, there isn't really any book specifically on crypto. It really kind of captures the vibe proposition I see there. But yeah, I would just kind of go back to the, like I would just read a lot. Of, like I would kind of just study cybernetics, I guess. Cool. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Where can people find you or learn more about Carbon? Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we've been pretty prolific at just kind of publishing things on our blog, on our website. Yeah, we, people, can just, people can buy the currency today on EOS or ETH on the website. And we, 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 we've been doing more events, just kind of going back to, I take some, I feel, I don't want to say I feel responsibility, but we definitely didn't do as much as we should have to try to kind of control the dialogue. And so we're, we're investing more heavily in mind share and just kind of talking to people because there are projects out there that, have that will almost certainly break and will wipe out a lot of money for a lot of people's like a lot of money for a lot of people and that's gonna be very bad for the space so we're, we're investing much more heavily in just kind of what will be we'll you'll see us around we'll be we'll be on stages all over the place but yeah check out our blog buy our currency great well simon it was a pleasure having you yeah it was, thanks for having me too i guess it's been fun great